In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. The account that we just heard made it very clear that one cannot please God and sinful man. In our text, we see person after person thinking of their own self-interest, their own survival. We see person after person seeking to appease or flee from other sinners. We see secret plots, frenzied crowds, deep sadness and utter chaos as sinners try to stay afloat during this particular weekend that was supposed to be set aside to celebrate the Lord's deliverance of his people from the hands of their enemies. In the midst of the chaos, we see one person at the center of it all, and he alone is undeterred. He alone has his heart set on pleasing God and fulfilling what his heavenly Father had sent him to do. Jesus, God's only Son, felt the intensity and the stress of the moment deeper than any other, and he was tempted to flee from the cup that the Father had given him, just as all others were. But he alone, in these events, remained without sin as step by step he moved toward the fulfillment of the law. The law that shows our rebellion, the law that shows our deserved judgment. The chaos of the events that led to Jesus' death begin in a garden on the Mount of Olives. And in this garden, just as in the garden where Adam first betrayed the word of the Lord, Judas betrays the word of the Lord made flesh. Judas procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees and went to Jesus with lanterns and torches and weapons. Judas had addressed the possibilities of Jesus, had assessed the possibilities of Jesus' earthly reign on earth. And as the week went on, he saw those possibilities waning every day since Palm Sunday. So, to save himself and to be numbered with those in power, Judas betrays the one he had followed for three years. He betrayed the one that he knew loved him for the approval of those who cared only for themselves. In the end, Judas knew this, and in his shame, he took his own life. It is no doubt that Judas' betrayal hurt Jesus, since he sympathizes with all of our weaknesses. But Jesus does not resist Judas or the soldiers. Instead, with a powerful word, he declares that he is the I Am, who has come to drink the cup that was given to him by his Father. Jesus alone has set his heart on fulfilling the word of the Father. He has his heart set on saving sinners, while sinners 
have their hearts set on saving themselves. In the garden, we see Peter in righteous anger, ready to fight for his survival and for the survival of his Lord and Savior, Jesus. When he witnessed the power of Jesus' words, making the soldiers fall back to the ground, Peter sees that the battle is on and there may still be a chance that they can win. After all, if he fights alongside Jesus, how can he lose? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead only a week earlier. Surely Jesus will protect him in this fight. So Peter, having a sword, draws it from its sheath and he strikes a servant of the high priest named Malchus. And he cuts off his right ear, just missing a deadly blow. It was a decisive blow against his enemies. And if Jesus was on his side, they could defeat these enemies. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? Confused by these words, Peter eventually fled from the soldier's grasp into the night. He was willing to fight for survival, but he was not willing to submit to suffering with Jesus. Jesus had been given a cup that Peter was not yet willing or able to drink. Peter, in his hurt, does follow Jesus from a distance, and he witnesses the mistreatment of Jesus. But Peter could not stand with him or even associate himself with Jesus. When he felt the threat of being associated with God's Son in terror of what the sinful men could do to him, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. Peter had just heard a prayer less than 24 hours earlier from the lips of Jesus saying these words. Jesus praying to the Father said, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And yet in this moment, Peter denied eternal life to save his earthly life. He denied knowing Jesus out of fear of the crowd. And when the rooster crowed three times, he would feel the weight of his betrayal. And he would weep bitterly, knowing that he too was weak. And that Jesus alone was strong. In the end, Peter would know that Jesus was strong for him and that Jesus alone could fulfill what no other man could. In Caiaphas, the high priest, and Annas, his son-in-law, we see people motivated by the survival of a people. More than that, we see two men who are looking to secure their good standing with Rome so that they could keep their positions of power. It was Caiaphas 
who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. When he said this, it was actually the Holy Spirit who was prophesying through him. But Caiaphas did not have this in his mind. He did not have in his mind the things of God. God was giving up his only son, the son of man, so that he could, by his death, pay the debt of all sinners. But Caiaphas was thinking that his words stemmed from his own wisdom and that the death of Jesus would get things back to normal and return the Jews to good status with the Roman Empire. Caiaphas and Annas, as priests, they should have been, they should have been searching the scriptures to see if Jesus really was the Christ who God had promised to mankind in the Garden of Eden. Instead, they sought the death of Jesus so that they could remain in power personally and so that the people could remain under the rule of an unbelieving world. Through their approval, God's son was struck by the hand of an officer. Where if they were seeking to please God, they should have poured over the scriptures to see if they indeed pointed to the one who was standing before them. But betrayed by his priests that were supposed to be serving him, Jesus pointed to his words and actions as testimonies that he alone was being faithful to God and his word. Jesus said to those who hated him for the love of their selves, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in, in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said. They know what I have said. And if what I have said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And with closed ears, they led Jesus bound from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. The governor, Pilate, did not want any part of Jesus. Right from the very beginning, he desired to have the Jews deal with them, them themselves. But Roman law said that they could not carry out the capital offense that blasphemy deserved. All capital offenses for any crimes must be carried out by the Roman government so that they would not have various peoples carrying out chaos in their provinces. So the Jews who brought Jesus to Pilate demanded his death. Pilate did not want to kill Jesus. From historical accounts, we have no real idea if Pilate had knowledge of God's word or not. But we do know that Pilate knew something about this whole ordeal. He knew something wasn't right. From Matthew's gospel, we read that Pilate knew that it was out of envy that the Jewish leaders had delivered Jesus up. 
And furthermore, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife came with a word to him. She said, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. Pilate was in a very difficult position. He, went, he wanted to satisfy the crowd, his wife, and his own intuition, his own conscience. So he did everything that he could to either find reason to kill Jesus or a way to let him go while at the same time satisfying Rome, the crowd, his wife, and his conscience. He tried to see if Jesus was indeed claiming to be a king that Rome had not appointed. This would give him jurisdiction under the, his law very easily to kill Jesus. So he asked Jesus flat out, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus ultimately answered by saying, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Pilate did not see Jesus as an earthly threat by his own admission. And he tried to barter with the crowd by offering them Jesus or a known criminal. The crowd chose the criminal and left Pilate with the decision that he did not wish to make. Pilate wanted to avoid truth. But here he was face to face with truth in the flesh. In desperation, he tried to threaten Jesus in order to make him speak. But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate said, will you not speak to me? Do you not realize that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has given the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them, him over to be crucified. Jesus alone remained true. And he would not be moved to the left or to the right. He would not flee. 
With an angry crowd shouting for his death, he made no defense, for it was for their sin that he was going to die. Before Pilate, he did not plead his innocence, for he was here to bear witness to the truth for all who would one day hear his voice. Every sinner, every sinner there wanted the approval of every other sinner, while at the same time, the only righteous one there was fulfilling the word of God for all who would one day see their sin and repent of their error. John records Jesus' last words as the fulfillment of all that he came to do out of faithfulness to the Father. All he would do out of love for us sheep who have gone astray, each to our own way. Jesus' last words, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. No one could stop him from fulfilling the will of God. Not the betrayal of friends. Not the hand of the high priest. Not the foaming threats of the soldiers. Nor their spitting, their mocking, or even their vicious flogging. Not the blood cries of the frenzied crowd. Not the cries of the women. Not the incompetence of a ruler who sought to appease others at the peril of his own conscience. Not the piercing nails, nor the pain of the cross. Jesus would finish the work that the one true God sent him to accomplish. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And as Jesus hung dead upon the tree, a soldier came to make sure that he was not breathing. John bears witness. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. I saw it and bore witness that you also may believe. The water that flowed from his side is the water by which he forms his bride, the church. It is the water of baptism. The blood that flowed is his blood of which he tells his bride to drink, saying, Take drink. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. His faithfulness to God is the life of all 
who were at one time faithless. For we have all been like Judas, Peter, Caiaphas, Annas, Pilate, the crowd, Nicodemus, and at times even the soldiers. We have all been faithless, but Jesus' faithfulness changes us. Just as he changed his disciples and all who had come to believe in him, Jesus' faithfulness is the Father's salvation of the world. His faithfulness is our salvation. His faithfulness alone is what makes that Friday, when all the world was faithless, good. In the name of Jesus, amen.